Okay, any any questions from this morning? Any missing blanks from this morning? Two B two. One moment, please. Thank you. Two B two. Is um, two B two birthed and God is saving us by His Word. Any other missing blanks? How's Gary doing, Mary? Okay. Any uh, no any other blanks or anything? No, you guys are good. Okay. Any uh, thoughts, discussion on this morning? Questions? You need a microphone. I got a text from one of the five people who listened to this, thanking me for being vigilant on the microphone. <laughs> Ethan Shetler. Thanks. Here's a shout out to Ethan. Ethan Shetler, you're doing it for him. Um. So the the keyword that you kind of hit on was no on a lot of those passages. Is that um, kind of a mild swipe at the Gnostics for back then, or is that too early for the Gnostics yet? What do you mean? What, key key passages? No. <laughs> yeah, to no, like no, um, no, my beloved brothers, that. You know, the anger of manism. You know. it, it, it could be. It could be. I, so, so JP's asked about Gnostics. Uh, the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. And uh, there were early, some of the earliest heresies we can d- identify in Scripture um, are what came to be termed Gnostic. And there are lots of different varieties. They're kind of mystery religions. Um, we see a lot of evidence of this certainly in First John. First John clearly is pushing back against uh, some version of like platonic dualism creeping into the church, and and what was common to Gnosticism was sort of secret inner track upper level learning, and so is that you might know this could that be pushing back against conceivably I don't see much in James that would suggest that yet it certainly any time we're called to know things it's going to push back against various things even in today's day and age right how can you know what it means well James wants me to know something. So, you know, yeah, John is way more into well, and a specific flavor of Gnosticism, right? Because so Platonic dualism, um, Plato broke all of reality into the noumenal world, the world of the thought and the mind, and the physical world. And the physical world was flawed and broken. And has anyone, like, were you in college? You ever hear about the Plato's cave, the shadows on the cave? And so Plato. Um, basically viewed this as the shadow world. This is the broken, fallen world. Um, so Plato would ask questions like, you know, it, it sounds really clever. Like, what's the essence of chairness? How is it that you know what a chair is when you see it? Because chairs can look totally differently. And Plato's answer is there's an idealized, perfect chair conceptually, and all chairs that you and I see approach to varying degrees the essence of chairness. That's, that's what's going on. He also didn't believe we learned stuff, we remembered stuff. That's his, anyway. So one of the entailments of that view is the natural material world is bad. Therefore, the people who came with this type of thinking uh, had no problem with Christ being divine. Actually, the earliest heresy was the humanity of Christ. They were fine with him appearing human, looking human, 
But in their thinking, if he actually became human, he corrupted himself. He, 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 he was, how could God become human? And so John is pushing back hard on what we've seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, touched with our hands. Chapter 2, anyone who denies that Jesus has come in the flesh is of the Antichrist. That's about as clear as it gets. Now, that's a stripe or a flavor of Gnosticism. And he, Paul references the Epicureanisms and the Stoics in Colossians. So there's various flavors of it. It might, I mean, it could be creeping around. I mean, certainly Greek wisdom and thought predates this stuff. Whether or not it's crept into the church and mingled into Christian, some attempts at syncretizing Christianity. I don't see much else in James to suggest that. It's, it's possible. It's certainly possible. Um, you want to go any further with that? Or? No? Okay. Okay, Renee needs a microphone. Well, hello, Ethan. Um. Say his name. Sorry. <laughs> Um, you know, months ago, like in February, I saw this somewhere better to suffer injustice than to do it. And I was just really, um, convicted by it. So I texted it to myself and I haven't erased it. And also there's these verses, Proverbs 28, four through five, those who forsake the law, praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. So there is some contending that we have. Oh, no, there's, there, is, there is a place for righteous anger. Um, James is purely speaking about the anger of man. Yes. And, and what can even be tough is it, our hearts are so wicked, I can even like have a cause for righteous anger and still some of my own anger creep in and color it. You know, um, So I'm assuming we all know the type of anger that's not right. No, G- Jesus got angry. God's people need to be angry at times. We need to reflect God's heart. One of the best ways to distinguish, I had a note in my outline, how do you tell the difference, is um, what, what am I really concerned about? So for Jesus, it's zeal for your house has consumed me, right? Um, it's, it's uh, who's the missionary to the, to the Chinese? Um, Hudson Taylor? He comes out of the temple, the pagan temple, and he says, I cannot abide to live while Christ is so dishonored. I mean, that's zeal for God. Um, and... Yet there can be subtle things in, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. I'm not going to let you think you push one over on me. I'm not going to, you know, and it's King. So the question is, am I worried about King Jesus or King Jeremy? His kingdom or my kingdom? His will being done on earth or my will being done on earth? And so, no, absolutely. There's a place for that. Um, It's, I'm not for a second suggesting that isn't the case. But I still would, in my own experience, most of my anger, the overwhelming majority of my anger is corrupt. Um, and, uh, and my wife, every now and then, will ask me. She can actually say this not snottily. You won't, you, Jeremy, are you concerned and indignant for the righteousness of God and his glory and my sanctification? Or because you're not getting your way? <laughs> and what? And that's, that's, you know, like, said in the right way, like, yeah. I mean, well, and sometimes, like, you can be angry at something, and you're, but you're disproportionately way too angry. Like, you know, um, if, if one of my kids, they, this hasn't happened in, like, eight years, but if one of my kids slapped Serena, which I saw one of my kids do once, I got angry, Ooh. right? Yeah. And I think that's yeah. appropriate. She's yes. my wife. What do you, how dare you, right? Um, 
And so, like, sin, like, you can be angered. If I see one of my children bullying another child, a, a small level of indignation, like, hey, now, if I fly into a rage, even though there's legitimate transgression and wrongdoing, and even though there could be a legitimate room for, like, how dare you treat your sister that way, young man? If my anger is completely disproportionate, then, again, I'm guessing Jeremy's flesh and Jeremy's sinful heart is supplying the excess, right? And then I tell myself, no, I'm just standing up for the cause of the righteous. I mean, so we've got to be really careful with our anger because even when we've got legitimate grounds, we can be infused with, you know, um, our own sinfulness. But no, not all anger is wrong, which is why this even says be slow to anger, right? Um, in Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. Absolutely. So. Yeah, so there is such a delicate balance. You're right, and it's typically not 100% <laughs> righteous. Yeah. Um, but I guess what I hear you saying is that it is okay to, um, like I'm thinking of people who, there's so much anger these days, so much anger in this world. And um, some people are just angry all yeah. the time. Well, one of the checks we can do, God, God asked Jonah an amazing question when Jonah is, is angry and wants to die because the tree do you do well in being angry? That's a great question when I catch myself getting angry. Like, is this good that I'm angry? <laughs> and I think part of being slow to anger is that before you act, before you do anything, evaluate. Like, I, I know, I mean, let's face it. I think we all know when we get angry. Like, it's not like it doesn't, you know, like we're aware of it. Mm-hmm. And pause before I say or do anything. Is there even the slightest possibility this is appropriate anger? Because if it's not, then just shut up, you know. Okay, maybe it is. Now, is it proportional? Is it, is it, is it you know, um, is, it, uh, is it an appropriate response? If I want to scream because um, Zadok didn't say yes, mommy, it's not proportional, you know. Even if watching my children, one of my children disrespect or disobey my mother, like a little indignation. And indignation is just a nice word for anger, right? Small levels. Mm-hmm. Irritation is just low levels of anger. It's like, so fair enough. I think there could be a valid place for low levels of anger, watching your children rebel or be, be disobedient. But if all of a sudden what rises up is, you know, like that's a pretty good sign too that, you know, something's off. So part of being slow to anger, I think, is that self-evaluation and being very hesitant because of how deceitful the heart is before I embrace this anger. Um, and then the next question, what, what do I want to do in this anger? Right, so Jesus cleanses the temple. Like, is it going to produce anything righteous? Because again, what we're getting at is producing the righteousness of God. Um, is it going to yield any good result? I mean, Luther used to say he couldn't work or write unless he was angry. Huh? Well, I got a book I keep in my office to get me angry sometimes when I'm being sluggish. All right. It's a children's book <laughs> from hell. Um, no, I'm not even joking. Wow. It is evil, and it's basically teaching children that they're God. Ooh. And so every now and then, if I feel like I'm, like I'm feeling sluggish, lethargic, I will read that and get like, there is terrible, terrible <laughs> error out there. I need to be zealous. Like, so like, I, get, I think I get what Luther's talking about when he says yeah. he can't work unless he's angry. Um, so yeah, if the result of that indignation is works of righteousness and greater labor, great. That's smelling like it might be the righteous anger. If my anger is causing me to like, you know, post memes... Because <laughs> I, I never do that. Um, but then it's probably not, right? I mean, again, you have to go, what's the fruit of this anger bearing, right? Um, so th- those would be some of the tests I'd use to try to evaluate my anger, you know. Um, yeah. But no, there's, there's a righteous anger is a thing. 
And it's yeah. A, yeah. Well, can I have um, like I'm talking about like at work dealing with people who aren't Christians and they're like being mm. really snitty and and yeah. so how do you deal with people like that? Maybe give me an example that would help. Well, I think we're told directly when it's personal offense. I'm to turn the other cheek. I'm to bless those who persecute me. In other words, if you want to be rude to me, I should just take it on the chin, man. I mean, like, mm-hmm. they, they call the master of the house Beelzebub. What are they going to do with his servants? I mean, certainly if I can avoid it, like if I can go to the checkout line that doesn't have the person being rude to yeah. me, I, sure. I mean, I'm not a, not a masochist, but like, okay, who am I? There's nothing, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll quote, I'll quote uh, Russell Moore. It, Someone was giving me a hard time saying rude things about him. Like, dude, I sing worse, worse things about myself on Sunday than you're saying. Like, I know I'm far worse than anything you can okay. say about me, right? Um, so I shouldn't really care. Not, not that it is pleasant. But mm-hmm. It gets trickier when there's other people involved because whereas I have a hard time seeing taking vengeance for myself, protecting someone else, interposing myself to protect somebody else, it gets, it gets mm-hmm. more and more, complica- more complex there. Um, and I'm saying take vengeance. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to try to avoid someone trying to do me harm, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, it gets more and more tricksy. If somebody at work is being braiding other people, it can get more and more. Co- but the simplest, I mean, Jesus raised the sermon about general broad teaching to everyone. Turn the other cheek to those who curse you and revile you. Bless them. To one who wants to take your cloak, don't take, don't withhold your coat or garment as well. They want you to go one mile, go two miles. Like, that, that should be like default position. And then as further complications arise, we can tweak that. But that should sort of be like the starting point. I, I mean, that's just Jesus teaching to the crowds, right? Um, I'll give you another one. Go to Titus 2 or 3. Titus 3. This, this is just another broad. And again, are there exceptions? Certainly. But this is broad, middle-of-the-road Christian character, okay? Um, this is this is default, I would say, the default position, and then we would have to reason our way to know this is one of the exceptions. Um, Titus chapter three. So this is what Paul wants Titus to remind all the Cretan churches. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, is there a time to sharply rebuke? Yeah, there can be. But I would say this is kind of default position. And then, okay, if this is one of the exceptions, if this is one of the times to you whitewash tomb, God will strike you. Although Peter repented of saying that when he found out who he was talking to, right? But I mean, but this should be like, this should be vanilla Christianity. This should be like the status quo. And yeah, other factors can make things get more complex. But that's, that seems right in line with the Sermon on the Mount, right in line with, with plenty of other stuff. Um, and the Roman emperors who are they're under, and people can argue whether Domitian... Who says... Zeb, how do you say the name Domination? Domitian? De- yes. Domitian. Or whether it was, uh, some, some are going to argue Domitian was in ruling. If, he, if it was him, it would be way more lenient than Nero. Uh, I tend to think Nero, when, when Paul's writing, is, is ruling, but I couldn't, I couldn't prove that. Um, but regardless, the Roman Caesars were not, compared to anything we're under, were, were, were a lot more autocrats and did what they wanted. And yeah, there totally are exceptions. 
but this is, seems to be like the general spread set default. Um, I could say more on that, but you know, we're told to live quiet lives with our hands if we can. I mean, this is yeah, we're the preaching of the gospel is going to create a stir, and yeah, um, dealing with some of those things is going to be polarizing. But the general default seems to be Christians should just try to be good citizens, good neighbors, good husbands, good wives, live quiet lives. If people want to ask us for the reason, there should be sort of keep your head low, love your neighbor, love God. And then there are times where people, Paul's going to start a riot in Ephesus, like no doubt. But um, that's, that's what's peppered in there. So, no problem. Serena. Oh, dear. I was just going to make a comment on ba- oh, uh, in regards it. to the work situation. Yeah, yeah. And I would think that the soft answer turning away wrath would yeah. be the, because a lot of times the person who's mad at work, they're not mad at you. They're mad in general or, and if, if it takes people, I mean, even the world understands that it takes two to quarrel. And so, um, I found, I mean, not to be obtuse and, but if you deliberately ignore the tone of somebody sometimes and just be like, okay, so what I'm hearing you say is this is the problem. And then you just address their problem. I mean, it seems to me like that a lot of times that would be, um. It would solve the problem because it would take some of the wind out of their sails because they came ready to fight and you didn't you didn't fight and you ignored their signals that they were ready to fight. They, I mean, obviously sometimes people are just jerks, but yeah. Jeremy, who's Jeremy? Oh, it's Jeremy, Mr. Sweet. Yes. Oh, So I don't really have a question. I just have an observation in my life, but. Um, I find that what causes me the most anger is when, um, I, I, I greatly value peace. Um, I, I, which I think is a good biblical direction. Um, but when peace is broken, uh, even in a way where there's sin involved, I'm not upset about the sin. I'm not upset about, you know, God's glory being tarnished. I'm upset that we had peace and now we don't have peace. And so now I'm angry and, uh, I I find that I will fight to get peace back. And mostly what that ends up looking like is, um, just, it's not so much about the correction of the bad attitude or the bad behavior. It's about (coughs) you stop it right now so we can have peace again. Mm. And, and that's just a, it's a flaw that I have that I fight. Um, but I think it's probably a pretty prevailing, uh, it's certainly prevailing in my life. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that other people deal with as well. Oh, I, I think the besetting temptation for parents is to punt when we should be discipling and correcting our kids. So like two of my kids are quarreling. Can you guys play nicely together? Right? Go outside. Yeah. Pretty soon I'm going to have to parent here. You know. And no, absolutely, because it, it's, it takes effort. And so I had this nice night planned of what I was going to do, and I was going to read this or watch this, and now I'm going to have to parent, turns out. You know? Like, no, parent, absolutely. I, I think, I think uh, that's for, my, for many if not all parents, the temptation is to just, 
and to begrudge the like you think you flip it around right so this is an opportunity to disciple my child in the fear and instruction of the lord this is an opportunity for me to remind them of who the living god is and what he requires and how right like what an honor and a privilege i get to be his emissary instead it's like man i thought i was gonna watch this episode was like we'll put a movie on we will put a movie. No, we'll put a movie. We'll just watch, try to watch an episode of a show. And these kids know that. And they'll come down one at a time with stupid reasons. <sighs> we, we, in our house, because our kids will eat fruit like locusts, they get to have one piece of fruit a day. They flip that around so they have a right. to. Like, I've had kids get up at 11 at night. We put them to bed at 8. Can I, can I have my one piece of fruit for the day? But it's a wonderful opportunity, to, you know. Well, it's, well, it's like the so when I told Sophie because when I told Sophie on, on the drive here, I'm like, man, I'm, I've been, i definitely have been using um, sharpness in my voice to. Get, she's like, I, it's okay, Dad, I forgive you because we're probably being naughty. I'm like, oh no, we're probably both wrong. And what I need to do is control my spirit and then like instruct and discipline you. It's like, oh, well, in that case, you can just bark at me. I'd rather. Oh, yeah. Um, so no, I mean, one, one of the things that, that has stuck with me is loving people and, and ministering to people, whether it's the ministry of teaching, instruction, discipline, correction, is messy. I mean, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan is such a wonderful example that the, the priest and the Levite who don't love, and I don't think there's a middle ground. I think they hate. This is one of the reasons you've heard me say is why hating isn't I want you to die. Hating is I just can't be bothered with you. Getting, that guy's covered in blood and I got somewhere to go and I'm a priest and I'm probably needed at the temple and I'm, I can become ceremonially unclean and it's just someone else can deal with it. And so here's this beaten up guy on the side of the road and it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard and it's going to be unpleasant dealing with them. That's what, yeah, loving people usually does mean that, you know. Um, and so, yeah, loving my kids is going to mean figuring out Okay, what's going on? You know, and, and trying to sort the thing out and figure out who's done what and why they've done it. And that's what God's called me to do. Um, and yet I, I begrudge it. And yet I rely ever long on his fatherly patience with me. You know, Father, I've messed up again. And, and I'm glad he doesn't bark at me, right? You know, he, he's mindful of my frame. He, we're but dust. And yes, he disciplines me, but he disciplines us for our good. You know, and Hebrews 12 and all that. And so... Yeah, yeah. The, this I'm ranting. Sorry, Jeremy. I'm ranting on what you're saying. But Amen. That's the challenge of parenting. Is that I'm doing a bad job as a parent. I'm just like, you guys, just deal. Figure it out yourself. Who had it first? You know. Um, and uh, leave me alone. Basically, I don't want to parent right now. Oh yeah. Although we do have a rule in our house that you can't come to mommy and daddy unless you first address the person. I mean, unless it's something like, they just hit me with a stick. I mean, but the, the mom, dad, Zadik, you know, hold on. Did you talk to Zadik about it first? No? Then why are you telling me? And if you go talk to him, and if he ignores you and he doesn't listen to you, come get me and I will jump in but that's getting back to even biblical principles like this is your brother you should be able to please stop doing that or whatever you know um and so that helps you know because well hold on have you talked to him yet yet nicely 
uh, <laughs> right. Um, so that, that helps. I mean, that, that, it's not like you have to jump in the fray and everything, but, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we got all sorts of excuses to, to do stuff like that. Um, that's always the challenge. And it's the challenge in ministry, too. There, there are people I know, if I go out, try to go and talk to somebody, this is going to take a long time to be a mess. <laughs> you know? Then and I got to remember, so, I mean, this is where that, that the, the Good Samaritan has been blazed into my mind. Okay, so I'm going to be the Levite and walk by. <laughs> you know, I go, okay. Um, but yeah, make, make no point. Relationships and loving people is messy, hard, ugly work. Much of the time. Yes, Sarah. Microphone. So there's times that you're angry at someone that you don't actually have the responsibility to discipline or disciple. So like in the workplace, for example, if there's someone that you're interacting with regularly who is stealing peace and making you mad and how do you interact with that person and uh, deal with the problem in a way that is loving and respectful to that person? <coughs> two-pronged, two-pronged response. The first is guarding your own heart from bitterness. And, and so Jesus, I think it's hard to be angry at someone you're praying for. It's hard to be angry at somebody you're blessing. And so Jesus' um, instruction is to bless those who persecute you and sorely use you. Um, don't curse them, bless them, pray for them, pray for your enemies, right? So I think that's just as important for them as it is for my own heart. Um, I think Mark Twain said, uh, poison, no, anger is, is like an acid that does more damage to the vessel it's stored in than what it's poured upon, or bitterness. I'm mangling it, but you get the idea, right? Um, and so guarding my own heart from bitterness. I mean, reminding myself there, especially when you're unbelievers, like, oh no, the Canaanites are being Canaanites. The godless are being godless. I mean, it doesn't make it any more pleasant. It should remove some of the shock and some of the, I can't believe someone would. Well, what'd you expect? We live in a sin-cursed fallen world. It doesn't make unrighteousness pleasant, but it should remove some of the shock, surprise, and chagrin. Um, You're praying for them. Then, the Proverbs have a lot to say about a gentle answer turns away wrath and overcoming evil with good. Um, go, to, go to Romans 12, uh, where we're told not... Yeah, Romans 12 would be what I'd say. So, so the first would just be guarding your own heart from bitterness and anger and resentment and, and uh, all of that. And then coming up with just trying different ways to overcome evil with good. So in Romans 12, um, we'll pick it up in verse 14. Let's pick it up in nine, start of the section. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Is there anything I can do to make this person who's being an unreasonable jerk be at peace with me? 
as much as it depends on you, what, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I'd be, I'd, which is different than what your rights are. Like, I'd, is there something I can do, some way of serving this person, some way of preferring this person that could make them be at peace with me? I'm looking for that if I can, right? Um, as opposed to, why should I have to change? They're the jerk. Um, then, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. And literally, the Greek is make room for. The picture I have in my head is you're standing in front of this like howitzer cannon of God's wrath and anger, and you got a little like pea shooter or slingshot, but you're blocking the cannon. The Greek is make way for, get out of the way for God's wrath. I will frequently tell people I'm counseling, you can fight for you or God can fight for you, but you don't get both. So pick. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just be looking for a way. Lord, show me if there's some way I could help overcome this evil with good. I'm trying to be at peace with this. He makes it clear you might fail, but that's what you're looking for. And that's, that's your attitude. You're praying for them. You're not cursing them. You're blessing them. And you're trying to find some way to overcome evil with good. It's a lot easier to say than do, but the Bible does speak pretty directly to it. So there you go. Other thoughts, questions, complaints? Oh, JP. So one thing that we have a hard time with is um, the pendulum swing from not having an edge into your voice to like being this cold, what I imagine a DMV worker would be like if they had a parent, you know, like completely like a robotic, I don't know, emotionless yeah. robot when you're correcting your kids or anything like that. Yeah. Oh, I think, <coughs> I think appropriate emotion. I mean, I remember the one time, I won't say which kid, but the one kid who, it was, it was a small kid, so the slap was a very weak, pathetic thing, but there was no question what the kid was doing. Swatted at her. And I let the child know there's a certain amount of anger in my voice. How dare you? That is my wife. That is your mother. What are you doing? Like, and I think appropriate for a child, letting him see some of the displeasure that I have at this is appropriate. Holy right. I mean, does not God hate sin, right? Um, now, I could terrify him, pin him to the floor. Who do you think you, you know, how dare you go on Mark Driscoll on him, you know, and that would be no good. So it, it's, I think, think back to God. He's mindful of our frame. He knows we're dust. You're measuring and you're metering out what might be first. So if, you're, if your indignation is righteous, they really have done something wrong. I think it can be wholly appropriate. You're teaching them something about your father that you're displeased by this. Um, but measuring and metering it out, being mindful of their frame. I remember one time, I, 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 I'm analytical and I think through things. And I'd, um, I had, uh, I know I'd done wrong. I'd, I'd sort of um, shown some, some displeasure. My son had done something I thought was foolish. And I didn't speak angrily. And I'm trying to think what I, cause I, my conscience is bothering me. And what I did is I poured out scorn on him. Like I would potentially to an like might be appropriate to an adult, 
Like, you did what? There's just, just with look and tone and stuff. But I poured it out in like a seven-year-old boy. Completely inappropriate. But I had to think, like, well, I didn't speak in anger, and I wasn't harsh in my... Like, what was it? No, he, he felt, you fool, in, in the way I looked and the way I talked to him. When it may have well been appropriate to, like, that was silly. You know, like, a small measure of that, right? Um, and, uh, no, I, I, I let weigh on him like a full adult serving of contempt at something that was foolish. But for a seven or eight-year-old boy, no. That, that was completely inappropriate. But I had to think through, like, what did I do? Because it wasn't like I sinned in what I said in regards to, like, I said something corrupt or I said something wicked. No, I just, I just leveled and let him feel the weight of my contempt at something he did that was foolish. And I let him bear, like, a heavy dose of it. And, yeah, that's wicked. But then I can ask his forgiveness and deal with it. But so, so I, I think modeling after a heavenly father who's mindful that we're dust and mindful of our frame and measuring things out. And even God gave you a help meet to let you know, hey, JP, you're, either you're being lifeless or, JP, you need to tone it back a notch or two. You know, I mean, Serena and I would talk regularly. I'm sure in most marriages, one parent tends to be a little more, you know, more... Uh, their measurement of what they think is appropriate might be a little more robust than the other. And so my wife is a compliment to me. And so if she's questioning whether I was a little too strong, I should listen to that. I'd be, I'd be a fool to marry her and then not listen to her. <laughs> the option, the other option, Serena, is at times I can just be a fool. That's, that's the, that's the tertium quid here is right. Uh, see, these are my mother's day little pearls here, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so that, that is the challenge yeah because I, yeah, I do see some parents it's so anesthetized it's like now listen you've done something very naughty and you know that I mean and if I suppose you have to choose between like oh dear and that do that do, uh, by all means do that but uh, at the same time I, I don't think there's anything wrong in you know letting them in, in being real with them if you're being real measuring thoughtfully what would be appropriate for this child at this age? You know, um, did I answer your question at all? Or my wife wants to jump in now. Hold on. <coughs> well, I was going to say there is a tertium quid as well. You can also um, that's Latin for third seat. Sorry, we listen to D. A. Carson and we use obscure Latin phrases. <laughs> so when you get a false dichotomy, it's either this or this. The third seat, the third option would be, so D.A. Carson always uses like foreign words and stuff, a tertium quid, but he said it like four times in one message I listened to and I liked it, I started saying it, and so my wife just said it, and now i got to explain what it means. It means there's a third option. It's not just either. What she's going to say is it's not robot DMV worker or, you know, yelling there's a third option, which is what, babe? Well, there's a range of options. Oh, you can you can let the child see how upset you are by by pleading with them. Like if they're insisting on being rebellious, you can say, "Look, I really wish you would change your mind because I'm it doesn't I'm not pleased with having to discipline you for this foolishness, but yeah. you know, that's what we're going to have to do here." Or you can say, "Okay, what you did right now, I'm really tempted to be angry. Give me a minute. I'm going to go pray and then I'm going to come back and deal with you." And that actually works pretty well because you're modeling how to deal with your own 
anger and they're actually a little bit terrified because they're realizing what you did what they did was so bad that mommy can't mommy's got to go pray to the authority deals with it then usually you come back and they're like okay i know what i did this was wrong and this was wrong please forgive me like yes and we move on but uh right right right. (laughs) so it doesn't happen you can still have emotion and not have it to be sinfully angry it could be yeah you could be angry and not sin i suppose no i've definitely had to say yeah, why don't you go up to your room? I'll be up there in a minute. <laughs> go up to your room. We'll deal with this. Go, go, go now. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Anything else? I've got 10 minutes to go. 10 minutes to go. All right. I'll just share again that, that like the, the six application points at the end. The part that most, I think, that I don't know how well I said, what I emulate, what I admire is, is not meekness, strength under control, but strength. And it's a certain type of strength. I don't, I don't with the temper anger thing, it's not people who blow their top and, you know, Fred Flintstone. Um, but I can remember like really good, subtle, jabby insults from like, Black Adder and Monty Python from 20 years ago. You know, and the ability of someone with a sharp tongue to put someone in their place deftly, you know, almost casually, you know, um, is something that I can admire in a wicked way. Like, I want that power. I want to be able to slice and dice someone without having to swear, without having to, you know, um, without having to say anything inappropriate. You You strike me as the type of person people emigrate to avoid. Classic Blackadder, um, Rowan Atkinson. And no, and I probably heard that 25 years ago, and I got it, fingertips right there to go. And so um, I, I've had that, as I've been chewing on this text this week, like, no, I need to aspire to meekness. I need to aspire to be slow to anger, not this guy who can just, you know, tank. And, and there's different things. I mean, anger takes different forms. Um, and so challenging then okay am i feeding that am i am i putting in front of me people that i find this this wrong thing attractive is that good for my heart to feed on this if if that's what i that's my temptations i want to be the guy who you don't get you you, he always puts you in your place he's able to do that you know i want to be that guy um then i probably don't need to watch those guys a lot (laughs) if that's a temptation to me um and for for other people it might be different things but that's, uh, for me at least, that's where I, 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 when I get angry, I don't yell and scream. I can, I can be really sarcastic. I can be really sardonic and I can really cut with the edge of my words. And, um, just, you know, something as simple as what are you doing? You know, just let them know, like you're, I'm, you disgust me right now. Right. Um, so just, uh, that's that's what I've been chewing on and just thinking through like okay how if this is something that actually is wicked and something to grow in like where am I feeding it and you know um, it's what I liked about watching House right Gregory House he, that man he could <laughs> he had a sharp tongue right he was witty and clever he was likable but he you never you never want a verbal repartee with him right oh yeah and and so you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm, that's feeding this thing. 
that I'm supposed to take off and turn from. Okay. That's that's sort of the catalog I've been doing this week about uh, that type of thing. So, yeah. Anyway, I'll let you go five minutes early unless there's any other questions. Can you unpack Cain's legacy versus Adam? Sure, let's go back to Genesis 4. You've got five minutes. Genesis 4. Um. <coughs> Pardon me. So I, I think there's a huge contrast here in these two these two lines, and what I was what we were talking about like before the ABF, yeah. And what's remarkable is the uh, Moses gives Cain and his seed and his line full credit for their technological and cultural innovations. I mean, let's just read what Cain's descendants did. The our early forefathers were far more inherently brilliant than we ever were. So Cain's one generation down from Adam and Eve, right? So then let's go to verse 17 of Genesis 4. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, so generation three has built a city. Now, city probably isn't like what we think of as a city, but it's more than what had come before. Probably had a wall. Um, He named the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad. Arad fathered Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Mathushael. Mathushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada. The name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and of livestock. His brother's name is Jubal. He's the father of all who play the lyre pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. We got metallurgy of two different core um, ores. You've got woodwind instruments. You, I mean, these people are in, are. I mean, if you think man lived in caves with a stick for thousands and thousands of years, like three, four, five generations out, these people are taking dominion over this planet, right? But it culminates. I'll read. It culminates in um, Lamech's song. I think the first song in the Bible. Or. I mean, Adam speaks in poetry, and um, he, this isn't necessarily a song, but Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And this next thing is really blasphemous. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Who promised to supply Cain's revenge? God. My vengeance is is 10 times greater than God's. Do you see the... I mean, there is no way we're supposed to read this as anything other than high-handed pride, rebellion, and wickedness. There's no... These feelings aren't necessarily close relatives. They have to be because there's no other people right. on earth. Right, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, and modern, modern vernacular, like, no one's dissing me. I'm getting mine. Or, flip to the other side, you know... Uh, Mess with the bull, get the horns, whatever. This is somebody, you don't mess with me. You mess with me, I kill you. And that's what it culminates in. Then keep reading. Now, then you get this other offshoot. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And she, for she said, God has apportioned for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain has killed him. So we're making it clear we got another line here. And Moses does not credit Adam and his line with forging metal, with instruments, with city-making. He gives them one accomplishment. 
Um, to Seth was also born a son, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of God. You get three generations, Adam, Seth, and Enosh, and now you've got a culture where at least some people are calling on God. And so here's the contrast. Like, there's city builders, metal workers, instrument makers, and it call, here's Clowney's quote, and we'll break. The descendants of Cain are recorded. Their progress in technology and urbanization is described. But in spite of their unlocking of the potential of God's creation, they remain rebels. Metallurgy, poetry, and music are all developed, but the fruit of this culture is the hymn of Lamech, the song of the sword, celebrating the threats of the world's first militarist. So Moses has no problem credit. They did all this great stuff, and it's wicked. And here's the path that led to people calling on the Lord. And so it's clear in reading this, there's a contrast between Cain and his descendants. And unlike our trait where if they're bad guys, then they're bad at everything. No, no, no. They were really brilliant and smart and good at all this stuff. And they did wicked things with it. And here's this other line. Anyway. Yeah. And Noah is Lamech's son. There you go. Noah is Lamech's son. There you go. That's crazy. Noah, Islamic son? Yeah, I just kept reading. Huh. We'll figure this out and get back to you. You guys are dismissed. Thank you. <laughs>